Amen. If you need a subheading, if you're a note taker here, First uh, Timothy chapter 2 is where we're going to start, is, is pray for all people. How many know that we should be praying for all people? As the people of God, we should be praying for all people. Um, so it says this, first, all, uh, first of all, then I urge that supplication, uh, supplications, prayers, and intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people. That's how we define prayer, those three things right there. Uh, first and foremost, we are to be a people of prayer. It starts with prayer, amen? Amen. Supplication, intercession, and thanksgiving all deal with elements of prayer. So let's look at that. Supplication comes from uh, personal need, the verb from which uh, the noun is derived. Boy, for all my English people, that's a lot right there. Uh, did you hear what I said? The verb from which the noun is derived is petition for supplication. When you petition somebody, you come in, and, and when we give supplication to the Lord, that means we come and say, here's our petition. Lord, I, I'm in need of a miracle. God, I'm in need of a touch. It is, is a petition. Number two is intercession, um, and that means to approach with confidence. Um, uh, suggesting that we have free access to, guy, to God. Uh, Hebrews 4.16 says this, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Intercession. Everyone say intercession. All right. Number three, thanksgiving um, is an attitude of gratitude. I like that. Thanksgiving, it is an attitude of gratitude. How many have something to be thankful for? All right. How many had a meal today? How many slept in a bed last night? How many have a roof over your head? You got something to be thankful for. Amen. Um, so praising God for what he has done in us and for us. So all of these should be in the, in the prayer life of the believer and the church. So there's a, there's a quick little, little breakdown in prayer. There's supplication, intercession, and, and thanksgiving, and, um, and I say all that to say this, it, it, it all starts with prayer, and prayer is not just something we do, it should be the first thing that we do, right? How often do we pray last, and, and we, we act first, then we pray, instead of praying first and then acting? So it should be the first thing that we should do as believers. So, so God, I, I give you thanks for all you've done. Lord, I come boldly before you and give you my needs and uh, I share the needs of others. So here's verse 2. It says this, for kings and all who are in high position. So we're already starting with prayer. Guess who we're praying for? For kings and those who are in high positions. We are to pray for uh, kings, presidents, those that are in authority over us, governors, Speaker of the House, all of those, your, your mayor, I mean, just anybody that is in any authority, we ought to be praying for them. And here's the thing. I wonder if we prayed for them instead of complaining about them. Well, I'll just leave that one right there. That bounced off every wall in here. Um, how many believe that God can change men and women's hearts? I still believe that. Uh, but it, it's amazing, predetermined by, uh, by, by God. Do you remember the story? Caesar Augustus would break his campaign promise of no new taxes and would put a decree forward 
for those in Israel to be taxed. And in that process, they had to go back to their hometown, right? So think about this, how God divinely does things. God puts people in authority, and he makes things happen. Mary was from Nazareth, but Joseph was from Bethlehem, right? And that was south of Jerusalem. So the tax decree would put Mary in Bethlehem to have Jesus be born in Bethlehem to fulfill what? Prophecy. How many know that God is in control? God places people in leadership and say, well, I don't, I don't agree with them. You know what? You ought to pray for them then. Um, so what if we as believers acted like God is on the throne rather than my voting is the, the ultimate, uh, you know, authority? Oh, it's quiet in here. <laughs> no one's like, oh, I didn't, I didn't know you were going to come out strong swinging like that, Pastor. Uh, but but what if we acted like, hey, God is on the throne. I may not understand all the things that are happening, but that's okay. God's got me. He's got my best interest at, at heart, and I'm going to trust him regardless of whatever Washington does, whatever the uh, Indianapolis does, whatever the mayor's office does in town. I'm going to trust him. So just maybe God's up to something, and he is just moving pieces to fulfill his divine purpose for you and me and so those in authority should start with we should start with prayer but sadly that's not not our case we don't do that uh the next part says that we may lead a peaceful and what quiet life godly and dignified in every way so i i just want to point this out this is just a point of observation okay uh, from from pastor right here that those who are radically involved in the in the what I will say the Christian political scene are rarely quiet or peaceful. Sometimes they're the loudest and 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 they have to make a statement on either side of that. I mean, for that matter, and a lot of the time there seems to be more anger from them than there seems to be love that is coming from them. Now, I know that you guys are quiet, but this is, this is really good stuff. And sometimes I wonder if, if that is what the Lord intends for us. I think the Lord wants us to love people. And, 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 and in my humble op opinion here, and this is just pastor's humble opinion, I believe it would benefit us to do more praying and less talking about politics. Guess who I'm talking to? Myself even there. So uh, I'm not saying you shouldn't have an opinion, I, but I, what I'm saying is this. Instead of uh, always having to put that opinion out there, why don't you bathe it in prayer? Amen? And I've learned that his ways are not always my ways, but I do know this. He's always right, and I'm not. So I'm going to trust him anyways. Uh, how many remember in Jeremiah chapter 29, we see the prophecy for Israel to be captive for 70 years or so, and what did God tell the Israel to do? He told them to pray for the peace of Babylon. It's amazing to me. He told them, hey, build houses, plant gardens, allow your kids to marry, make it better if you can. And, 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 but here's the thing. Uh, don't get too rooted for you are only there for 70 years. So why did I tell you all that? We're, we're here on this earth for 70 years. How many think that we should leave this earth better than when we got here? Do our best to leave here better, uh, you know, socially, politically, environmentally. All those are, those are all good. I, I mean, I think that's our hope as, as people. But it's important to do things. It's important to vote. It's important to participate in the system. 
and, um, and have knowledge and to be wise. But remember that one day earth will be folded up is what Hebrews 1.12 says. So everything, every kingdom that's in this earth is going to, it's going to be gone. It's going to be gone. So verse uh, 3 says this. All right. How many are with me? All right, good. It's going to get bumpier. Don't worry. This is just the start. Uh, this is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So after Paul tells us we should be uh, talking to God about men, praying for people, leaders, and politicians, he says we also have the responsibility to talk to men about God and to share with them the truth of the gospel. That's, that is why we're here. Verse 5. For there is, oh, I love this verse. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. How many are thankful for Jesus? Amen. This verse, uh, I used this a few weeks ago when I was talking about the blueprints for forgiveness. And the word mediator means this. It means a daysman, or if you need a more modern term, an umpire. How many have ever gotten in an argument with an umpire at a softball game? Don't raise your hand. All right. I knew Bev was going to raise her hand some, somehow, some way. I knew Bev was going to raise her hand. <laughs> oh, you were the umpire. So you were the one. <laughs> you weren't mediating. You were causing issues. All right. Um, but Job 9.33, Job says, I wish there was a mediator between me and God. He was having an issue. And, and Paul is using the same terminology. He's saying there is one mediator, one bridge between an infinite man uh, because God himself became man in Christ Jesus. And how many are grateful for that? Amen. So we are to follow the example of Jesus who was willing to be uh, the mediator or the daysman the Savior between a holy God and sinful man. So um, here's the thing, and, uh, you know, not that I'm trying to get on a soapbox here. We're not to be fault finders. How many know that we can, we can quickly and easily get in an attitude of finding fault in everybody's thing if we want to, right? We could point our fingers like my mom used to say, don't point your finger. You have three pointing back at you, right? Then I would do this. Now, now what, Mom. But don't, don't point our fingers. We can be fault finders. Uh, uh, you know, we can um, be political. We can be an anarchist or whatever the case. People who are angry or, and people who are bitter. But that's not what God has called us to be. He's, he's told us to this, to pray with thanksgiving and with supplication and follow example of our Savior and the ministry of mediation. Let me tell you about my Jesus. Let me tell you where I was. Let me tell you what he's brought me out of. Let me tell you how he saved me. And let me give you my testimony. Let me tell you how God, what God has done for me. Verse 6, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. So what is God's heart? Second Peter 3, 9, he desires that none should perish. I wonder if, as the church, if we took that serious. I think sometimes we, we know it, we're hearers of the word, but on this, sometimes we're not very good doers of the word. I'm not picking on anybody tonight. I'm just, I'm just laying it out there. And, and, and so we have to, we've been called to share with people and to pray for people. And, and, and so we have to do that. And the, and, um, the next bit of scripture we need to look at through the lens of peace uh, for keeping peace. Verse 8 says this, I desire then that in every place... The men should pray. 
All right. Dads, uh, leaders of your home, you know you are supposed to be the leader of prayer. I challenge you. I challenge you to be that. I desire that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. So Paul's wishes are not that men would clench their fist and tell and sign petitions and tell the world how mad we are, but that we should lift up holy hands in prayer and 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 and, and supplication and thanksgiving. Amen. And so. Uh, something about prayer that keeps us uh, from being angry and quarreling. I can have a bad mindset, come in time for prayer, and then when I leave my prayer time, have the right mindset when I leave. How many know what I'm talking about? You ever do that? When you know you have a bad, I remember a youth pastor one time, he said, he said, uh, you know, there's moments where if I find myself getting aggravated with the leadership in my church, I realize that's the time I need to go pray because I've got a problem. And I think we have to recognize that. It helps us to be at peace with one another. Interestingly, um, in Scripture, when we see men praying, we see them lifting up hands uh, or laying prostrate or standing and lifting up their eyes. I mean, you can look up different references in Scripture in the psalm where you see this in different ways. Um, however, here's, here's an interesting thing. We never see in Scripture where... Uh, we pray where hands are closed. Think about this. And, and, um, and oftentimes we tell our kids, bow your heads. And what do we do? We put our hands together like this and we close our eyes. And that's, a, that's kind of a man-made made thing. It's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. I know why we do that, to keep our kids from fidgeting when we pray and do things right. Keeps them busy doing something. Hold your hands so you don't do whatever you're going to do. I understand. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but... You know, here's the thing. I, I just want to remind you, when you're in prayer, keep your hands, not necessarily physically, but keep your spiritual hands open. God, here I am. I'm reaching for you. I'm not coming with an agenda. I, I, I just need more of you. I, I need to know you more. And so, um, so uh, it, and, and I'll say this. Uh, there's been moments in my walk with Christ and, and some of the best moments I've ever had were moments where I was laying and, and eating carpet while I was praying. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Where you're just, you're just you and the Lord, doesn't matter who else is around. You're just down in the, you, you know, and you pray the carpet smells good. Anybody ever, you know, sometimes I've been some places where the carpet didn't smell good. Um, but I've been in those moments where I've just prayed and in that, in that posture of prayer, and it doesn't have to physically be there. And I'm not talking about the physical position of the body. I'm talking about the position of our heart. Here I am, God. I, I need you. So when our hearts are in a position of prayer, then we'll know peace. So verse 9 says this. Likewise, also, all right, and so we know everyone say men should be praying. All right, here we go. Everyone ready to buckle up? You guys ready for this? You ready for this? I don't think you're ready for this. Verse 9 says this. Likewise, also, that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel. With modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire. Um, uh, the adverb there, likewise, I, I want to point this out. The adverb, likewise, there, it links the discussion of prayer in verse 8 and this verse right here in verse 9. So, that again, so like men should have holy attitudes in prayer, women 
should as well. Okay? It's easy to really miss that if we're, if, if we're reading it fast. And, um, and unfortunately, I mean, there are moments that, that this verse has been used improperly to preach against makeup and certain clothes and other legalistic teachings. Um, the great uh, minister, his, his name um, uh, escapes me right now, but he said this, even a barn needs some paint every once in a while, right? And I heard somebody say, well, the back of the barn also needs to be painted as well. <laughs> I don't know. I thought that was kind of funny. Um, but the ideal is that women here is to dress modest and not bring vanity to themselves um, here. And here's what's happening in, in, this, uh, uh, in this bit of scripture. The church at Ephesus, there are some widows who are very rich, okay? And that's where Timothy's preaching. And they have money. And they're coming in, and they're coming dressed to the nines, and they're drawing all the attention to themselves and making it kind of more about themselves. And this is Paul just kind of countering that, saying, hey, listen, you need to be modest. You need to not look down on people. You, you know, And that, that doesn't mean you can't have nice things. It doesn't mean you can't wear name brands and things like that. It's not, it's not the point. The point is this is this. It's not so much what you have on on the outside, but what's going on on the inside that matters. Amen? The, the, the New King James says that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation. This is interesting. Modest apparel means women should dress appropriately when at worship. Amen? Not in extravagance. Um, propriety means this, in reverence and respect. You ought to respect the house of the Lord. We ought, to be, we, ought to, we ought to walk with reverence and respect. So moderation can be translated sound judgment or self-control. Okay? So, so having self-control, hey, I, I'm going to come in with, with, with just respecting the Lord, with, with being, being, being made right, looking um, the best that I can, but in respect to the house of God. Verse 10 says this, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. So Paul is exhorting here in the women in Ephesus to be concerned about uh, uh, clothing themselves with God's character instead of wearing inappropriate, lavish clothes. That's what he's saying. Hey, you know, get this thing right, and then the rest will, 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 will fall into place. With good works means that her beauty should be found in her love for the Lord and demonstrated by how she lives with all kinds of good works. I like James. You know, we're not saved by works, but guess what? Because we're saved, good works should follow us. Right? And I like, I like that James says this. All right. I, maybe we should dismiss now. We'll stop right here at this point. Okay, some of you know what's coming. Some of you don't know what's coming uh, right here. Verse 11. You guys ready? Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. Let's pray and dismiss. No, nope, nope. Verse 12. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to uh, remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, verse 14, and Adam was not uh, deceived, 
But the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Verse 15. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Everyone go, boop. That's a big verse to swallow right there, right? Pretty straightforward. Crystal clear, right? Just there it is. All right. We can go home now. Everyone good? Um, let's break this down. You know I'm, you know I'm going to break this down. Um, just to give a little context. So first, Paul is instructing Timothy in chapter 1 about false teachers. There were false teachers that were coming in, and he is addressing this. This is the, the he, you got to keep that context of what he is, what he is doing here. He is addressing false teachers in 1 Timothy, all six chapters of 1 Timothy. He, he is addressing things within there. Um, so some, some of their teaching had crept into the church of Ephesus. So earlier in this chapter, he confronts men about quarreling and that their prayer will lead to peace, right? So he deals with men. So now he's coming back, and and so we can all agree, so men should be in prayer. So then he addresses specifically a group of women who were dressing, like I said, to the nines and looking down on others. And then he leads to this. Women are to learn quietly and submissively and not teach or exercise authority over a man. So this is one of those verses that we can look at, and it can cause angst. And some of us, are, our stomachs are turning. Some of us are going, oh, I don't understand this. I, I'm having a really hard time wrapping my, my head around this. It's causing consternations to, it, to its readers, and especially if you're a woman, right? You, you, some of you are afraid to talk because you said be quiet, right? Um, especially if you are a woman. And it's one of those scriptures that, that Peter said of Paul, sometimes he's a little hard to understand. In Second Peter 3.16, he says this, as he does in all of his letters when he speaks in them, he's talking to Paul of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, the fishermen there. But, but Peter's going, some of the things Paul says are a little hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, and they uh, do uh, the other scriptures. So, um, I want to look at this, and I want to look at this. Um, uh, I'm going to open this up a little bit here. Uh, there's three main ways that people interpret this scripture, okay? Uh, and there's some variances, but I want to try to keep it as, 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 as minimal as I can without going down a bunch of rabbit trails. So the first is this, the literal translation or the reading like, a, like if it was a manual. Follow this, do it just like it says. There's... Um, um, uh, so it's like it's a manual for running a church or a, a mandate that this has to be done. And, and this is known as patriarchal, uh, patriarchalism, okay? That's a hard word for me to say. And it basically says this, that there are uh, male roles only, all right? All the men said amen right now. Um, um, and they, they take this bit of scripture, they take it at face value. Some believe that women should not teach a man and women should be quiet. Um, and so uh, women, uh, women shouldn't lead or teach men in church at all. So it's interesting, if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, it says something very similar in nature about women and their role in the church, okay? So here's the context of what's happening in Corinthians. Women in Corinth were interrupting services, okay? 
And so what, what you have to understand here is in that time, the women would be on one side of the church. The men would be on one side of the church. Here's another thing you need to understand about the context of what's happening there in Corinth. Women were not uh, given as much uh, access to education, and men were giving uh, a little bit more access to education. So that's one, another thing that you have to consider here. So here's what's happening. Somebody is teaching, a man is teaching up here, and he's teaching the men. Then the women have a question, and then they ask their husband over here, and they're disrupting. The, the church of Corinth had a lot of disruptions in it in a lot of ways. It was a very vibrant church. There was a lot of stuff going on. But these women are, are interrupting the service, asking uh, their husbands to, to understand because they generally want to understand and they want to know what's going on. And so uh, in that, so we, we know that. So we go back to Ephesus here where, it, where, where, where uh, Paul is talking to Timothy. Here we see a group of rich women and men. They're teaching false teaching, and Paul is commanding them this. This is basically what he's saying. Get under the authority of the pastor, Timothy. That's what he's saying right there. He's, he's telling them, hey, uh, you, and he's telling Timothy, hey, you've got you've to get your leadership out there, and you've got to get ahead of this just to, uh, uh, to stop this false doctrine. So, so what is the context of the time? Um, and, and so we have to look at the whole complete context of what's happening here. I'm going to give you some more views. But this is, this is more of a conservative theological view, okay? A lot of your, uh, not, I'm not talking politically, I'm talking about theologically. The most groups that believe this, there are some fantastic churches that have this belief system that women cannot serve in any leadership role uh, that do amazing, that, that are doing amazing things for the kingdom. So two times Paul addresses this here in 1 Timothy 2.12 and then 1 Corinthians 14. And they believe that Paul uses the example of Adam and Eve to show why women, or why men should lead and why women shouldn't. Number one, Eve was deceived and, and Adam was not. So Eve fell uh, a prey to the serpent's lie. Adam knew, I mean, he fell prey to, to what Eve, but Adam knew, but Eve was deceived. So if we, if we read this as a mandate or as a manual, we have to look at some other things in scriptures that make it tough to explain. So 1 Timothy 5 says this. If we're looking at this as, as just like a manual, you got to do it just like it says. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 9 says, Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been there uh, the wife of one husband. So here's what's happening in 1 Timothy chapter 5. They, are, they have a program going, and they're helping widows, but they're saying this. You have to be 60 and above for us to be able to help you. So if we were to have a program where we help widows and someone is under the age of 60, does that disclude them? Does that not help them? I mean, and, and, and another context that we have to look at is this. Um, what about this? It said that women shouldn't adorn themselves in gold and braided hair. And so are, so a lot of people who believe this, they'll do this, but they won't do that. So it, there's a real, you got, you got to look at this through good, a good lens. Sometimes you got to take a step back and let, let the scripture kind of, kind of help you and lead. There's some, some very specific things that we have to do. So is it possible that the specifics for this group, uh, that this was very specific for this group and this church just in Ephesus? I'm just throwing that out there. It's just a, it's a good question. 
uh, is this why we need to be discerning in the scripture and be good students. So here's the second view is this, that women should lead, but if educated, they can teach. And this is known as uh, complementarian, okay? And this view, there's some great complementarian churches that believe that women can teach if they're educated and they're under the sole leadership uh, of a man. So this view says women can teach, but they have to stay under the leadership of a man. It's interesting. In Titus, Paul tells women to teach their uh, women to teach their daughters and their granddaughters. Like, how many have ever read Titus? There's, it's generational. Hey, uh, you grandmothers, teach the daughters this. Hey, you, but it never says, hey, women, you should teach men in Titus. That's interesting, right? Um, and then in Romans, check this out, in Romans 16, um, chapter, uh, it's in Romans chapter 16, verses 1 and 7, in Acts 18, 26, Paul talks about this, that there were women named Phoebe, Priscilla, and Junia uh, that were doing work in the kingdom, Phoebe being called a servant in some translations and a deaconess in others. And that would be what? A role of leadership. Interesting, huh? It's kind of interesting when we, when we look at that and when we're looking at the whole of this. So, so Paul says women should be quiet in church in one place and then he praises these women for being leaders in the church in, in Romans. Um, and not to mention this, if we look at Scripture, throughout Scripture, um, you know, and Philippians, the, Lydia was very uh, uh, important to the Philippian church starting there with Paul. And so here are some examples of women teaching and, and leading in church homes just right there in that moment. So Paul is, uh, is commending these ladies for their work in the kingdom. And, and this view is that women can teach if educated and under a man's leadership. So everyone say complementarian. All right, that's a big word. Uh, and it agrees with this statement concerning that Eve had been deceived. They, they, they believe that. So here's the last one right here, egalitarian view. This is the egalitarian view. And this is the view that women can serve in the same roles as men in church. All right? I've given you Bible to prove Bible. How do you, how do you, how do you test Bible? How do you know what Paul says? You put Paul's words against Paul's words. You look at Scripture. It's called hermeneutics. You, you take Bible to prove Bible. That's, that's how you do it. So this is the view that uh, women can serve in the same roles as men in the church. So usually this view is taken uh, more by uh, liberal theological groups. They say that this letter was written for a very specific occasion. And they looked at this text as more of a uh, as uh, more of a mandate for the specific church in Ephesus or maybe in Corinth. And the context of the cultures and the church cultures may need harsh uh, correction at times. How many know sometimes certain groups need harsher correction than other groups, right? But you remember the seven churches. Uh, Jesus had something to say about all the seven churches. and He had issues with, with all of them because they had certain things that they were not doing well. And so we see Paul addressing uh, uh, the issues that some women were creating there in Ephesus. This is what they say. They argue, they argue that women were leaders. They were teachers in other places in the New Testament that, and, and thought uh, uh, many had, had, had even complimented Paul. So look at this, 1 Corinthians 11, 6. six. I'm going to show you something. This is amazing. Uh, or 11, 5. I'm sorry. It says this. But every wife who prays 
of prophecies with her head uncovers dishonors her head since it is the same as if her head were shaven. So I'm not worried so much about her head covering as I am about these words right here. Uh, but every wife who prays or prophesies. Everyone say prophesy. So this verse is written by Paul. Um, proves that women prayed and prophesied in church. Why is that word prophesy important? You know that word prophesied, if you break it down, it means to teach. It means to preach. Interesting, right? Uh, um, the gifts of the Spirit are given to whomever the Lord wants to give them. We see women that are giving prophetic words uh, here, and Paul is is solidifying that. In that and, it's, and here's the thing. The gifts of the Spirit are not gender-specific. God didn't give the gifts of the Spirit just for men. He gave them for mankind and men and women both. And so we see in Scripture in Genesis and throughout that man is to be uh, the head of the home, right? So we know that, but we see women being used by the power of God to preach and to prophesy. So this group will say that uh, the reference to Adam and Eve solidifies that women in Ephesus specifically needed to be quiet and muzzle their mouths, basically because they needed to have peace so Timothy could lead at that time. And so Genesis 2, verse 22 and 24 says that they are talking about Adam and Eve and men and women. They are one flesh, men, uh, man and woman, indicating what? Equality. It's interesting, right? Equality. Um, so... The woman is a helper that complements Adam, right? It's what the scripture says. She is a helpmeet or a helpmate, however you want to say it. So, and, um, and you know, an illustration that I often use in um, a wedding is this. You know, God took a rib, which is not, you know, he didn't take a, a, a bone from Adam's feet so he could walk all over Eve. He didn't take a, a bone from Adam's head so she would be over him, but he took it from her his side so that they would be equal. So um, some interesting things to think about. Now let me just say this while I'll leave it um, those three things. So we talked about those three things. There's those that take the real conservative view that take it at face value. There's those who say hey women can teach as long as they're educated and, and they're under the role of, uh, of a male leader and then there's those that say that hey women can be pastors. Women can take these different roles. And, and, and listen I've given you instances there in scripture where Paul proves Paul on all accounts. And I have to stop and I have to ask myself, God, why is it that way? Why can't it just be straightforward? Why can't it, you just say, hey, this is a woman's role. This is a man's role. This is straight how it is. And, and when I begin to think about this and I begin to pray about this and I begin to just like, God, you know, um, why are we all, why are some churches this way, some this way? Why are some, uh, you know, uh, believe in, in uh, you know, why are there different denominations? There are Baptists, and then there's Pentecostals, and there's Presbyterians, and there's, they have all these different belief systems. And, and I begin to think about this and how we interpret things and how we see things. Why, 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 Lord, why? Why can't you just make it easy for us? Why can't you just say A plus B equals C? But could it be that the Holy Spirit is speaking to us? And maybe we have differing views so that we can not be right, but that we can love one another. Maybe the biggest goal here is not, hey, this is right, 
as much as it is that I can love you, even though we may have some differing views on some things, and they may not, but I'm going to love you in, in spite of that, and I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit helps me and helps us understand that we can come together in unity. We just came out of a series on unity, and it's important that we know and we understand those things. Some of you say, well, what do you believe, Pastor? Yes, how about that? Yes, all right. So let's let's jump let's jump ahead here, right here, of uh, chapter two, or, uh, or I'm sorry, chapter three. So here's the qualifications of an overseer. You guys love me still, Amen. Do you love me still? Was that clear as mud? All right, good. I hope that was clear as mud. I know that that is a very um, uh, a tough text to look at, and it's easy to get upset about. It's easy to get frustrated about. But here's the thing: I'm not here to gouge you. I'm here to love you. You can have, we can have differing views on that. That's okay. That has nothing to do with my salvation with Jesus Christ. All right. So let's look at this. The qualifications for overseers. This is people that in the church. Um, uh, chapter 3, verse 1 says this. The saying is trustworthy. I like this, just the way it starts. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. Um, so the King James Version actually calls an overseer a bishop, um, we hear that in um, different terms. Our denomination, the, the person that presides over me and uh, our regional district level, and they are called bishops. We call them bishops, and they don't walk around in big hats like they, they're just normal people. They're good people. Um, I mean, not that the ones that walk around in big hats aren't good people or whatever, but um, so a bishop is somebody that is an overseer, that is a leader. Uh, and, and the term bishop, pastor, and elder are used interchangeably throughout the New Testament. Paul uses those. They, they intertwine. Um, but basically, anyone who wants to be used by the Lord. So he desires a noble task. So if a person desires to be involved in ministry, that's, that's, a, good, that's a good thing. That's a, that is a noble task. So, um, you know, so... Uh, it, when you're called to those things, when you want to do those things, you don't do those things because I want a position. We don't do those things because I want a salary. I don't do those things because uh, of, uh, but I do that because I want to do the work of the Lord. Okay? First and foremost, you want to be in ministry? And listen, don't do it because you want a, a position. Do it because you want to do the work of the Lord. Let God lead and guide you. So the ministry is not a profession one gets into saying, hey, these are my office hours, and this is my, my phone number is unlisted. Because listen to me, there are moments in ministry when you're a pastor or you're an overseer, you get calls all the time. People need prayer and people need situation. I got a text coming to church tonight. Someone said, hey, will you pray for this situation? Absolutely, I will. Simply put, ministry is is good work, noble work. Um, but here's the here it here it is work. It is work. Um, I saw this um, today. My mother-in-law posted something on Facebook, and it she said, "You know, ministry is messy." That's about what it said, and it gets messy in the trenches. You 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 you're gonna get. You're going to get dirty when you're dealing with people. You're going to get down, and there's going to be some things that, that may not be easier. But here comes the qualifiers for the position of bishop. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. So the King James Version says blameless. Um, 
And blameless there does not mean flawless. Because if that's the case, I'm disqualified. Everybody's disqualified because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All right. So this implies that a person knows that their heart is not perfect, but that there is nothing in my life that I'm holding on to that is contrary to what the Lord wants. That I'm putting him first. Above reproach means above sin. Well, um, uh, you know, so we, we, some of you say, well, I, I can't do that. I, I have a hard time doing that. No, you can do it through the work of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and you can live a holy and acceptable life. The Holy Spirit will lead and guide you if you allow him to, to help you walk that out day by day. Amen? All right. The husband of one wife. So um, this is interesting. The Greek culture influenced society that every man should have three women in his life. Three women in his life. This is what they said. Uh, a mistress for conversation. That's interesting, right? A concubine for pleasure and a wife to cook. No, to a wife to have children. And Paul says here the qualifications of a bishop is not culturally sound, but this is what the Lord says. But Paul says, nope, just one wife. Some would uh, use this verse to say that a bishop or an overseer must be married. And I don't necessarily feel like that this verse is a mandate for marriage, but it does mandate faithfulness to the one you are married to. I think that's it. Here's the next qualification, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard. So the King James Version says this, not given to much wine instead of not a drunkard. And so I will point this out, Proverbs 31. And now, now I want to I just preface this. This is, this is, the, uh, um, the, this is what a, a bishop, a pastor should be doing. Proverbs 31, 4 through 5 says this. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink. Here's why. Verse 5. Lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and perverted the rights of all the afflicted. So basically what that Proverbs is telling us is this. When you drink, it messes up your connotation and you make bad decisions. Quiet in here on that one. Right? Uh, never, uh, I mean, I make bad decisions, you know, sometimes just in my right mind. But, man, you, you make terrible decisions oftentimes when you are under the influence. You make mistakes. You have a lot of regrets. And here's the thing. We forget the word of God easily enough while being sober. Therefore, as a pastor or a bishop or an overseer, I can't afford to not have a clean mind and a sober mind. Amen. And I, I feel strongly about this because I believe the times of uh, are influence, influencing the ministry rather than the other way around. I, I'll make this as a, as a point of reference right here. Um, a few years back, there was a pastor in um, the southeast U.S. How about I just say it like that? In the southeast U.S. who pastored a very large church of about 20,000 people, multi-campus church, major church. And he was confronted by his elder board because he had become an alcoholic. And the fallout of that church is still being felt 
today. And so the elder board removed him because he did not meet the qualifications that, that he was supposed to meet. So uh, I feel very strongly about that. So uh, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome. So um, here's the thing. Those in ministry can be targets for people with an axe to grind, right? I have an axe to grind. Oh, there's an easy target. There's, there's a pastor. So I can pull that minister down or I can talk bad about them. And what happens when someone usually does that, they're doing that to feel better about the way that they're living. Right? And, and their own sin. So as a minister, my tendency cannot be this. When I know that that's happening, to strike back at them. But to love them and be the example that Jesus has called me to be and, and forgive them. Next one is this. Not a lover of money. Right? Uh, the love of money, what, is the root of, so if pastor wants to stay out of evil, just don't let money be, be the forefront of everything you do. He must manage his own household well with all the dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? So the bishop or the overseer or the pastor's first role is this their family. When I came here, I said this. I said, you know what? Here's the, and I'm, I'm, I may have said this to the board. I don't remember if I said this to the church. Here's, here's the order of, of, of my priorities in my life. Number one, I'm a child of God. That's my first thing. Number two, I'm the husband to that blonde hair, blue-eyed lady back there. That's my second. Number three, I'm the father to my three kids. Number four, I'm the pastor of this church. And those priorities will not move or shake. Say, so why do you put your kids after your wife? Because my kids will be gone soon, and that woman will still be right by my side. So, so keeping those things, keeping your family, uh, 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 having a family that is that is not crazy. And I understand sometimes kids and teens will do dumb things, right? I grew up as a pastor's kid. Whoa, I grew up as a, as a pastor's kid. And, and sometimes I felt like I was in a fishbowl. I felt like I couldn't make a mistake sometimes because I always felt like church people were watching me. And, you know, if I did this, then I was going to make my dad look bad or my mom look bad. And, and, and there was those moments like, listen, you ought to have grace for kids sometimes. How many of you made dumb mistakes when you were young? How many of you made dumb mistakes today? All right. We all have, right? And so, so uh, you know, not, not that, you know, they are allowed to just do whatever they want. But, man, sometimes just give them a little bit of grace because, man, they live in a pressure cooker. Verse 6. Uh, he, he must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. So, uh, Lucifer was condemned or cast down out of heaven because of what? Pride. And so that's why Paul's telling Timothy, hey, don't, don't put a, a novice in a position of leadership because they will uh, think of something good happens through them. It's because uh, they think they're clever or they're a good speaker or, you know, or this. But only someone who has walked with the Lord for a good minute understands that anything good that I do, it doesn't come from me. It comes from the Lord and Him alone. Right? So, uh, uh, so this is why uh, we're not to be fast to throw people in leadership and why we have uh, the process that we have, growth tracks, so, so that we will have, uh, be mature in Christ. So verse 7 says this. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace 
into a snare of the devil. So um, it's tragic when Christians are known as terrible and as pastors uh, are known as bad or worse, right? It doesn't mean that good pastors aren't going to have critics because you're always going to have critics everywhere, right? doesn't matter. Uh, it does mean, however, that as, as a good pastor, you're going to do your best to not provide critics any reason to be critical of you. So here's the next one, qualifications of, a de- of deacons, okay? Verse 8, so this is, so we're, we're stepping overseer, the, the head leadership, now we're moving to this. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified. Um, that does not mean they need to have a monocle and a cane and come in with a top hat. I'm dignified. No, it's not like that. Deacons are those involved in not so much as overseeing, teaching, and pastoring, but in practical service, um, tending to physical needs. In Acts chapter 6, it talks about deacons waiting tables. Um, deacons are waiting tables. Here's the next thing. Deacons likewise must be dignified, but they not double-tongued. Saying one thing this direction, saying another thing this direction. Saying, oh, I love my church here, and then talking bad about on this side. Double tongue. A deacon with a double tongue is dangerous because if they are involved in ministry or or spiritual leadership, they are having influence somewhere along the way. Listen, you ought to guard your tongue, amen? And and they cannot control their tongue. Uh, They will say things that distract people from Jesus Christ. And I say this, God... Man, if my tongue ever distracts someone from Christ, please forgive me. God, don't don't let me, don't help me, help me to shut my mouth sometimes, amen. Fresh water and salt water cannot uh, came, come from the same well. So not addicted to much wine because judgment is not as greatly needed in, in the ministry of deacon as a pastor. But it, it's still needed to advance the kingdom of God. I find this interesting um, that... The double tongue and the wine are right next to each other. I, I do. I just find that interesting because sometimes that can lead to this, right? All right, let's I'll, we'll just leave that one right there. Not greedy for dishonest gain. Um, if you're working in the church, waiting tables or helping with business as usual or, or doing, um, you cannot become sticky with your fingers. Don't steal from the house of the Lord. Amen. That's pretty practical right there. That's one of the Ten Commandments. Shouldn't steal at all. Verse 9. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first and let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. So those who volunteer in the body in any, any way they can, teaching, watering plants, parking cars in the parking lot, sweeping, fixing stuff at the church, feeding the poor, whatever that looks like, that this bit of scripture tells us that they are proving themselves as those who are potential to become deacons or pastors. Why do we want people to volunteer? Because we, we want to promote you. We want to see you grow. We want to see you move into what God wants you to do. Verse 11 says this, their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. The King James Version says, uh, even so, the Greek, uh, it, it says, even so. So the Greek word, hos, hos which means to start a new list. So um, in the bit of that, uh, it, in the beginning of that, instead of their, their wives likewise, it says, even so. So starting a new list here. He's talking about the women. Or likewise, in this case, 
wives here is from the Greek word goon, G-U-N-E. I'm not a Greek expert, but goon, which simply means woman. Everyone say woman. And I personally believe that this verse could refer to deaconesses, women who serve the practical need of the church. Verse 12 says this, let the deacons each be husbands of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. My dad used to say this. He said, you know, pastor's kids are not mean. It's the deacon's kids that are mean, and they influence the pastor's kids. That's a good cop out for me growing up. All right, verse 13. For those who, <laughs> for those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. If you use the office of a deacon well, you purchase boldness. Give me an example of that, TJ. Well, Stephen, the, the first martyr, before he was martyred to death, he was a deacon serving in the early church in Acts. Philip, the great evangelist, was a deacon serving first. And God promoted him, gave both of those guys. I mean, no, it took Stephen probably boldness to sit there and be stoned to death. Philip, same thing. I mean, he wasn't stoned to death. But, um, but they were dynamic. They were bold. And they began by serving tables in Acts chapter 6. Here, here's the last portion of this scripture. We're almost done. Everyone say, I promise we'll go on to... to to easier things next week. The mystery of godliness. Verse 14. I hope to come to you soon. This is Paul talking to Timothy. I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know uh, one ought ha how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So um, how many know that it matters what people believe? It matters. And as believers, we ought to believe in the one true God. It, it, is, it is what we stand on. We ought to believe in Yahweh. We ought to believe in Adonai, the I am, Jesus Christ. So Paul's uh, purpose of writing this letter was to help Timothy and instruct him in, in the church. So verse 16. Uh, great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. So. Um, just kind of the next little context to give you this next little bit of verse is a poem. Some say it's a poem. Some say it's a hymn um, that the early church would sing or declare or read. It says this, he was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. Talking about Jesus Christ. Um, you know, here's the thing. This is this uh, what I love about this. This little bit of scripture. Uh, other than other religions say, "Hey, here's what you have to believe. Good luck." But the great mystery of having a relationship with Jesus Christ is this: that God came, dwelt among us, died for us, and sent His Spirit to live within us. And there's the difference. Hey. I'm not sending you out. Hey, I, I'm going to walk this out with you. I'm going to be right there with you. Will you do this? Will you just, um, um, do you love me? You still love me, right? You guys love me. Uh, listen, uh, it's important, these things I don't want to shy away from. I think it's important that we look at them, we understand them. Uh, how many know that the Bible 
the Bible is alive. The, the Bible is alive. And we need to read it. We need to understand it. We need to be good students of it. And a uh, matter of fact, you know, that's, that's one thing that Paul would say in the next chapter. Timothy, study to show thyself approved, right? To, to do that, you, you have to do that. And so, you know, just because something's hard doesn't mean we're not going to look at it. We're not going to um, try to understand it. And here's the thing. We are to work those things out every day. We ought to pray, Holy Spirit, help me understand this. Help me to, to wrap my head around this. Help me to understand the context of this. So let's do this. Let's, let's just lead out in prayer tonight. And, man, two chapters, that's got to be a record for me. I mean, honestly, it's got to be a record for me. Um, let's pray. And uh, we'll move to uh, uh, chapters three and four next, next week. So, or, I'm sorry, four and, four and five next week. Lord, Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for your word. God, I just am grateful for who you are to me. God, I, I am just a man. God, I don't claim to know all the answers. But, Lord, I put my trust in you and who you are. God, I, God I'm grateful for the things that I can look at um, in Scripture and I can, I can glean and learn from. Lord, it is, it is just great truth, Lord, that we can look at these things. God, I pray, Lord, that you would be with us, Lord, that you would help us to understand these things as we read our Bibles, God, daily, Lord, that we would learn of you and about you. God, that our focus would be this, Lord, that we would preach the truth. God, Lord, you would help us to rightly divide the word of God and understand it. God, Lord, you, in the process of that, God, maybe we may have some differing views and doctrines and things at times. But God, in those moments, God, I'd rather love my brother than to have to point out that I'm right. God, teach me those principles, Lord, that I love them. God, with the same severity, Lord. Uh, uh, w w with that the world is in disunity. God, help me to walk in unity, Lord, and in love and mercy and grace. God, we pray for every need, Lord, that it's in this house and every need that um, there's a lot of needs, God, in our body. God, we pray for the need that was mentioned to me before church, God, via, via phone call and other calls that I received this week. God, I just pray um, for, for everybody. God, I pray, Lord, that you just knit our hearts together in love. God, help us to walk in unity as believers. And God, we'll just give you the praise. We'll give you the glory. And everybody said, amen.